as the pork and feed the birds is always recorded on unceded Indigenous lands, I start out my episode now, as ever, by paying my respects and gratitude to elders and community of the lands on which I recorded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to the last The Pork and Feed the Birds for 2020. I'm Tom Tanneke. I am so grateful to you for having followed me along this journey of mine, podcasting, prioritising other people's voices above my own, talking to people, occasionally doing skits, finding out a shit tonne of stuff about subjects that I was both familiar and extremely unfamiliar with by people, sometimes the absolute best experts I could find. I've had some very high profile, amazing, famous people on here. I've had some very uh, not famous people on here who were some of the best conversations I had, but I've grown through it and I wouldn't like to think that it's a network you know, a network of people that I can now talk to and seek out for, 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 for their expertise, but also that for you as well, that you know that these people exist and you know that someone like me or you, who's an anti-fascist, can form bonds with a bunch of different types of activists and people with platforms. I've always wanted to reach out to different people because it's my belief that uh, something like anti-fascism or anti-racism in an organised or activist sense is only as powerful as the people who aren't fucking politics nerds who you manage to get on board with you. People from other spheres of culture, from other, you know, disciplines, other walks of life. So we always just wanted it to be a, a, a networking opportunity, you know, but for all of us, for everyone listening, And I hope some of that has come through this year. I started this podcast, you know, doing a gig guide every episode. And then that kind of became impossible when the pandemic hit. But we seem to be heading back to a place where in 2021, once we all get the microchips in our arms, where we'll be able to get back to that. And I look forward to recapturing some of that sense because I do want this to be in no small measure an activist podcast. But as we all know, I do have this part of me that's that just wants to hunt out Pokemon, chase weird little niche things, fringe communities, and so on and so forth. And I've loved doing that this year. I wanted to round out this year by telling three stories, really. They're all real ones. They're all things that happened. And they're stories that have been on my mind for quite some time. They're they're emblematic or reflective for me of 2020. One of them is just reflective of my 2020. A couple of the others, I think, are reflective of perhaps everyone's 2020. I'm going to be taking a break um, for one episode's worth, so we'll be back in late January, um, uh, returning to you with another year of the Pork and Feed the Birds. Um, if you have any requests or suggestions for guests or for subjects for me to deep dive into next year, I am I would be fucking delighted to hear from you. 
and um, during the break when I can start to prepare for those things would be an ideal time to hit me up. So message me through the Pork and Feather Birds page on Facebook or through any of the Tom Tanneke pages. I would really, really love to hear from you. Um, if you have appreciated and learned from the things that I have, the people that I've sought out, the things that I've done, whether it be by here or via videos through 2020 or the articles I've written, whatever it is, I would love it if you could support me via Patreon. Just chuck a clam or two my way if you've got the clams. As this is an activist adjacent podcast and often just an activist one, it's never more important than the many activist causes that we'll always talk about on this show but it would help me to eat meals because I'm a bit of a pauper, starving artist type. Before we get into the three stories, I'm going to play one of my favourite coronavirus songs. If for those of you who've been listening all year, you may remember a period back in March, April, I was going around the Caribbean and around Africa picking out um, my favourite um, uh, uh, coronavirus-themed songs from various genres, which are my favourites, including dancehall, soca, calypso, reggae, and so on and so forth, Afrobeat. Found a bunch of them. Uh, there was a, an amazing reggaeton one, and I'm going to be putting that on. And then after that, we'll get into the three stories. Thank you so much for all your support this year, comrades. I will see you in 2019 and you forgive me for thinking that that was that because for me when people like Lauren quit white nationalism I lose all interest in them their life is of no interest to me you know go raise a family and die I don't care to me it's not like a grudge match it's not an ego clash white nationalism is not going to live or die with the success or livelihood of any one individual grifter you see so once you're out, I don't care about you. The Hydra always grows a new head in any event with a new grift. So I focus on that. 
but next minute, Lauren moved to Australia. Then she announced she was having a baby and starting family life here. All good. But then she started appearing on Sky News. And then I realised that Lauren Southern was back in my neck of the woods permanently, no less. So I began to object. So I discovered that Lauren Southern was in Australia and was attempting to re-emerge and sanitise her career. I wrote two articles for Indy's news site, True Crime News Weekly. And for the first article, I responded to some bit of shit she did about cancel culture on Sky News. I took the piss a bit. I dressed up as her. She'd done a professional photo shoot wearing lippy and flying an Australian flag around. I thought it was pretty cringe and actually very North American. Uh, and corny, so I kind of posed as her with a blonde wig on, also flying a wig, uh, flag around. But then, True Crime News Weekly's editor, Sirkan, received some Lauren Southern visa approval info from an anonymous concerned citizen. He showed this content to me because he thought I was best placed to analyse the pretty threadbare bit of info received and write up some reflections on it. So I did. Now, the key revelation that I think these threadbare notes showed was that Lauren Southern had quit her career only two days apart from when she applied for a visa to come to Australia. To me, that was a huge revelation because it answered the pretty murky question of why Lauren had so suddenly, abruptly quit the far right. Only a fortnight or two after the release of her documentary, Borderlands, it made no sense. And far-right people felt the same. They went on about it for months, gossiping about it. So they didn't get it either. This was the answer I'd realised. She needed to stop the overt far-right shit specifically to help her visa prospects in Australia. She hadn't changed. She'd just put on a new coat while her visa was still yet to be approved. So I wrote about it. And I also questioned why someone who had a demonstrable role in disseminating the white supremacist great replacement conspiracy theory that inspired Brenton Tarrant, had such an easy time coming to stay in Australia while not white refugees lounge in detention for seven or more years over, frankly, sweet fuck all. I thought that was a good question to ask. And when we published that article, Lauren Southern had a meltdown. I received a defamation threat which we ignored. And then she published a children's book to warn her own child about lying media. It's called Henry the Sheepdog and the Wolf of Mossville. It's 54 pages in, in length. There's something that happens in what I do, whatever the fuck this is. Over time, you gather these weird accolades. They aren't like real accolades, they're ways you know you've done something to annoy really bad people when you're me. I get a handful of them every year. They're straight to the pool room type moments, you know? Andrew Bolt talking about me in the previous year, the far-right shitty publication Unshackled calling me, uh, what was I, I was an un-Australian of the year or something? These are moments, they're great. They're not intended to be accolades, but you treat them as such. You know you've done something. I got the best accolade out of this, I think, of all time. 
Because when I laughed about her children's book on Twitter, she told me by way of reply that I'm in her book. So I bought the book and it's true. I am a character in Lauren Southern's children's book. I am a turtle named Terry who yells a lot with a microphone and tricks all the other animals into foraging for acorns for me. That's a Lauren having a dig at my Patreon. In 2020, the strangest single thing that has happened to any one person has not actually been directly related to the coronavirus. It is absolutely this, the oddest thing that any one person has faced in 2020 is that I am in the children's book of one of the world's most famous poster girls for white nationalism, Terry the Turtle. At the beginning of the year, you may recall that Australia experienced its largest bushfire ever. You may recall. 18.6 million hectares, 186,000 square kilometres. Untold amounts of wildlife, all engulfed in flames. People experienced a collective surge of outrage at the politics and the extractive industry practices that had got us here. They felt this collective disbelief when their Prime Minister booted off on holidays during that time. Personally, I watched the largest cross-section of my normie friends I'd ever seen get off their asses and attend rallies and the like. Many people were united. But it must be said that others were united behind the disinformation machine. From the frustrated wannabe drama student theatrics of flogs with growing platforms like Romeo Georges and Arvi Yemeni came ideas, talking points, items of disinformation passed around on Facebook as quickly as the fire. One of the most popular was that the Greenies started the bushfires. And with this, I got my first taste of something I've gone on to see many times in 2020, and so have you. That people make up the theories they want to be true because that's easier than dealing with the grim reality. And that was very much the case with this meme, for want of a better word. You know, it's like an anaesthetic it's better to feel like an emboldened info-warrior wielding the truth than it is to be scared and at home. Of course, we all became intimately familiar with this mode of thought with the pandemic to come, but it was here in the bushfires in force. Now, I was driving up from Melbourne to New South Wales at the end of December to see family, and I'd never in my life seen anything like the grey, choking limbo I drove through for 12 dismal hours that one day. You couldn't see any more than 100 metres in front of you in any direction. The heat was an oppressive blanket 
the dense kind that's loaded with more than just hot air. Smoke was all you smelt all day. No point changing the aircon to cycle only in the car because you'd be driving through this for hours. You just had to get used to it, to breathe it in. I stopped at a servo for a quick feed. On a trip like this, there was never going to be any lengthy stop to stretch out and relax. People everywhere were filling their cars up to the brim, getting jerry cans to fill up some more. There were apparently petrol shortages, the radio said. Everyone was kind of rushing, even if it wasn't to anywhere. I got a message via my page. I'd been getting them for a few days about this new idiot, Romeo Georges, and his hammy videos, screaming and yelling and carrying on about the greenies, which were spreading around Facebook like wildfire. That guy was instrumental in the spread of the Greenies lit the bushfires theory. But this message was about the Greenies in question. There'd been a meme going around, picturing some Greenies apparently protesting against preventative backburning. Two or three environmentalists with placards stood pictured in front of a tree. These were the purported Greenies, the culprits, and in disinformation world, that by extension meant they must have been the greenies what lit the bushfires. As these were real people, that meant they had been found online and were getting inundated with threats. The message was to ask me if I'd like to speak to one of those greenies. I said yes, and not long after I was sent a mobile number which I called. The woman in question had been protesting a backburn that was along a path where a rare species of animal was located, as I came to understand. That was years prior. We were just trying to save that particular species. It was a very specific need to do that protest. Right now, she was evacuated in emergency accommodation by a river. She hadn't been able to contact some people in her family. She didn't know if her home was okay. She was exhausted. She'd already done distraught for days and just sounded hollowed out. But every time she logged onto her phone, she saw hundreds of new threats. Her profile had been shared into right-wing bushfire conspiracy spaces. She was the target that they needed, the person that they could blame instead of blaming every stupid fucking thing, every stupid fucking government we all voted in allowed to happen to gradually get us here. I sat there listening to her stories. I looked out on this endless heavy wall of smoke that surrounded the servo, eating a fucking pie or something. Thinking about disinformation networks that you can't see through you can't break down and thinking about an end of the world that you might not even be able to stop. I was walking down a road in Yarraville in April and there was this woman coming up towards me and I was about 20 metres away from the intersection 
and she was coming across that road. Mind you, I should add, this was one of the first walks I'd done. I, in early to mid-March, was actually overseas. I was in Bali, and when I came back was one of the last days, almost, I think, the last day in which you could get back without having your flights changed. I know of someone who came back two days after me who ended up having to spend thousands to get back. So we are talking about some of the last normal international flights anyone had, and even they were very strange. Everyone trying to wear their, their cheapo surgical masks on the flight back. Some woman coughing her head off on the plane next to me, me terrified about it. It was those first few days when we all started really taking the coronavirus seriously, even here. And once I'd got back, I'd had to quarantine for two weeks. So I hadn't even been outside. And this is one of my first times out walking like a normal human, leaving the home. So I was walking down the road when I saw this woman coming up towards me. And as I was about 20 metres away, she was coming across the road, but then before I got there, she turned the corner, and that was that, I guess. But then I reached the corner, and as I was about to cross the road, I looked to my right, and behind the big hedge on that corner building, she was there two metres away from the corner of the street, fucking glaring at me, like glaring at me with all the might of a middle-aged person who puts everything on TripAdvisor, you know? She had all the intensity of someone who begins every Yelp review with, I had to wait for 30 minutes. And I began laughing involuntarily, I couldn't help it. It's kind of like, I also giggle sometimes when I hear hysterical babies, kind of the same reason. When someone is so irrationally wild and furious over something that doesn't make, actually make sense, I just start laughing. I, see, I kind of saw in that woman, I saw my mum actually, kind of. Sorry if you're listening, mum, she might be listening. Mum would always come home when I was a kid and complain about people coughing on the train. She'd go, this bastard was coughing on me all the way home, Jesus fucking Christ. I bet I'll get a fucking flu from that fucking bastard. I could see this. She was angry at me for being near her with coronavirus. <laughs> Two days later, I saw this same woman approaching me in a park. And I walked, well, the way I was walking, which happened to be towards her. And what did she do? She did a very large performative arc, rounding off the path and away from me about four to five metres, you know, walking diagonally at least. And then once she got five metres off, she stopped for no reason but to watch me move away. I know what this was, by the way. I know what was happening here. Don't get it twisted. This is April. Everyone was neurotic about coronavirus and she 
was blaming me for existing in a space near her with coronavirus. Now, I think we would later go on to see this toxic brigade of Winger become the Covidiot set. You know, the people whining and lagging on and doxing everyone for not being a model citizen via social media. I did a couple of videos pretending to be this kind of person a couple of times. They were kind of loving the ability to lag on everyone. It was grotesque in its own way. But out in that park, I must say, I kind of treasured that old lady's dash. Somehow it reminded me of my mother. I was giggling out of control again as I walked away. And again, she didn't appear to appreciate it. 